back there, plus this one, which is about a year old, which tells the, the uh, story of the founding of our ministry. And uh, you may have heard the story that Shepherd's Ministries was actually uh, birthed in a, in a Sunday school class at a church in Milwaukee. And uh, I've told that story a number of different times. You know, they wanted to figure out how they could help somebody in the class. And there was a family with a, with a Down syndrome uh, son there. And uh, so they started helping the Caton family with Larry. And then it just kind of grew beyond that to others in the church and others in the community. And then really, uh, it's an international ministry now. But the interesting thing about this particular article and why I keep uh, bringing these along is because this tells the story of the founding of Shepherd's Ministries from the perspective of the Sunday school teacher that really had the idea of what can we do to, to have a ministry outside the classroom or outside the church. And, uh, and that missionary's name, who was that Sunday school teacher, was a, uh, was a medical uh, resident uh, in there in Milwaukee. And do you know who that was? Huh. Do you know the name Viggo Olson? Oh, you don't know that either. Okay. Well, not everybody can know everybody. Okay. So it's okay, Chris. It's okay. But uh, the first church that I served uh, as a, an associate pastor up in the state of Washington supported this man, Dr. Viggo Olson and his wife. And uh, so he was that first Sunday school teacher went on to become a, a, a recognized um, surgeon, a uh, missionary in Bangladesh. Um, um, you have a church library? Uh, I wonder if you have the book Doctar. A great, do, do you? You all ought to get that. It's a great missionary autobiography, actually. Great story. And anyway, that's the same guy. Okay. I, I, this is, I'm in trouble here because I keep getting on rabbit trails this morning. I must feel comfortable here or something. Uh, so um, if you, we, one other thing that we produce is a calendar. And uh, so if you are not getting our calendar... And if you would like to receive the calendar with some great pictures on it, which, by the way, you can see in your fellowship hall. Good work, Elizabeth. Um, so I saw those pictures, and I thought, oh, look at that. Where did she find those? And then I realized, oh, that's the new calendar. So um, anyway, uh, this, uh, the calendar, not for this year, um, but for next year, if you'd like to receive one, you could uh, just give us your contact information. We'd be glad to get those to you. So we'll just let you pass those around. My plan for this uh, session is to uh, spend just a little time giving you some introduction to Shepherd's Ministries. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and then also I want to, of course, give you a Bible message. But we'll start with just a little orientation to Shepherd's Ministries, especially for some of you that maybe weren't in Sunday school this morning. We'll, uh, we'll catch you up to date and it'll be a little bit of review for others of you. Uh, Shepherd's Ministries, and I'm going to give you um, kind of a pyramid of information, all right? So uh, we're going to talk about one thing, and then two things, and then three things, and then four things, and then five things, okay? So uh, now you know where we're headed. Um, so the one thing I want you to know is that we have one mission. Shepherd's Ministries has one mission, and that is to glorify Jesus Christ by reaching people with intellectual disabilities and their families with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to support them to reach their full appropriate independence. So just several things to emphasize there. We're an evangelistic ministry. Our target ministry, our target uh, of attention is uh, adults with intellectual disabilities, so developmental disabilities, however, whatever term you want to use. And then we're a ministry that em- encourages improvement toward greater and greater levels of, of independent living. So then, 
I want you to know that we have two population groups, all right? First of all, we have what you might think of our traditional residential community. And uh, let's go to the next slide. And uh, so Paul represents uh, our residents. So we have about 100 full-time residents on our campus. And uh, Paul is, uh, was one of, our, one of our great men. And I'll tell you something more about Paul a little bit later. And then our second population group is our college students. So then we have a college called Shepherd's College, and currently uh, 60 students, and uh, we're in, I think, our seventh year of, of that ministry. Olia uh, is one of our college students. I believe she's in her second year now. So it's a three-year residential college program, which interestingly is one of a little over 200 uh, co- college-level programs for intellectually disabled people, but it's the only one in the nation that's accredited. Isn't that pretty cool that a Christian college would be the only one in the nation that's accredited? And because of that, our students and their families have access to federal student aid funds. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty significant um, opportunity there, as well as a, a great endorsement of the quality of the program. Well, Olya, I just should mention, is... Uh, She's intellectually disabled. That's, that's you know, the, kind of the, that's our population. But uh, Olya is also a, uh, a Russian immigrant. So she was uh, adopted uh, by Rory and, and uh, his wife Kathy. Um, and now she doesn't live in Russia. She lives in, uh, in just outside of uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, and if you were to see Olya up close, you'd see that she's had some reconstructive work done on her face and so on. And, and uh, when they got her, she was a very, very needy little baby. And, uh, but they've, uh, they've done a wonderful job raising her. Of course, Olya still has that intellectual disability. But I, c- I can't think right now of a more happy and energetic young woman that I've met. So uh, anyway, she's a... She's a, she's a great young woman. So we got two populations. You got that? Our traditional residential population and college students. Let me tell you three things quickly about the college. Actually, I already told you one of them. First of all, I told you at least two of them. I'm ahead of myself. So it's a Christian college. It's an accredited college. And it's a successful college. You know, there's assessments that are done, especially when you're in the accreditation world, and they look at, at things like uh, uh, completion rates, and then they look at uh, employment rates after graduation. And in both of those, we're running right at 80%, and in both cases, well above the national average. In fact, is the national uh, uh, employment rate for intellectually disabled adults is right around 30%, and yet our graduates are running right at 80%, uh, which is, I think, uh, pretty significant. But then I want to tell you four things, and I think we maybe go to the next slide now. Yeah, f- well, that's the five things. Okay, so, so let's back up, and uh, we'll just look at Olya and Rory there. And uh, let me tell you four things that are uh, foundational to our, our philosophy. And uh, Sunday school folks, you can just kind of anticipate where I'm headed here. So we have a four-part philosophy that, that, uh, oversee- that, that governs everything that we do, and we call it appropriate independence. And the four subpoints of that are we believe that every human being is designed on and for a purpose. Okay? Every human being is designed on purpose and for a purpose. Secondly, we believe it's a biblical matter that every human being is designed as a unique individual, but for community. 
Okay? We're all unique individuals, aren't we? We all have our unique strengths. We have our unique weaknesses. We're a unique package of stuff. And yet we're designed to be, well, it's kind of like this morning, to be together, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of a local church, to be included in that way. And so this is no less true for people with intellectual disabilities. The third thing we emphasize is that every human being should be trained for life, trained for maximum level of independence in life. That's kind of how we raise our kids, right? Toward independence so that then they'll get launched and, uh, and do fine. And in a way, that's what we're working on at Shepherd's Ministries. And in fact, every once in a while some of our residents kind of get to the place where they can start making it on their own, and that's wonderful. They leave, and, and, it, and it's great. And, and really, that's the goal for all of our college students. And then the fourth thing is that we believe that um, everyone should be uh, empowered to serve, uh, empowered to serve. It was interesting. I was looking at some, uh, some material uh, last night. I'm on one of these email lists. Where did I put it? And... Uh, there was a, uh, oh no, I shouldn't have started down this path. I think it's in here somewhere. There it is, okay. Um, not only is uh, today Sanctity of Life Sunday recognized in many churches, but uh, tomorrow is um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And, uh, I, you know, whatever you may feel about Martin Luther King Jr., I bet you're happy with tomorrow off, Right? those of you that get it. Um, But, you know, really the man, I I think, was a man of greatness in many respects. And uh, one quotation attributed to him is this. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Isn't that good? Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Um, and, And that's part of what we try to emphasize among our intellectually disabled community that we can serve. We can serve each other, and that's a very biblical thing. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. went on and said, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your, uh, make your uh, subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. And I'll have to say that uh, many times, I think, among the intellectually disabled community that we serve, um, we see great hearts of great grace, a very compassionate community. Well, um, now I'm going to talk to you about that next slide, and that is uh, five non-negotiables. And uh, these are things that are just of absolute importance to us, foundational to everything we do at Shepherds. And I'll begin at the, at the, at the top right. Uh, we, we're committed to the local church, and as I already think, uh, I mentioned, we were birthed in a local church. We continue to be related to many local churches, and we're thankful for our relationship with this local church through the years. We're a Christ-centered ministry, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, we believe that Christ is the rightful master and the only Savior uh, for all of us. Uh, we're an evangelistic ministry, and uh, let me just take you back a couple slides to where Paul is. Can you take me back to the guy in the Cubs? There we go. There's Paul. So there's Paul. Let me just quickly tell you about Paul. Came to Shepherd several years ago. Uh, he had been raised, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to. Uh, I think I'm fighting an allergy or something. So, uh, but uh, uh, 
uh, he'd been raised by his uh, mom, a single mom. I, I don't know the story about where dad went uh, earlier on, but um, uh, came along. Uh, Paul was in his, I think, his 40s, and mom realized that uh, she was diagnosed with some cancer, and uh, she was facing some chemo, and she wasn't sure how this was all going to come out, and she started to be worried about Paul's future. A neighbor who was concerned said, well, do you know about shepherds? No. Uh, so let's go take a trip. So uh, the neighbor took mom up to Shepherds and visited, and wow, this is a great place, and then took Paul up for a respite visit, for a trial visit for a week, and uh, seemed like Paul got along fine, kind of compressing the story here. And pretty soon, though, mom realized that she was just not managing well was she was going through treatment, and, and so she decided, I'm going to place Paul at Shepherds. And uh, so she went up, you know, there's several of the steps here, but she went up for the intake process and moved his stuff in and, and was doing the business office stuff and, and whatever. And at that time, one of our staff in the office talked to mom about her medical condition, the future, eternity, the gospel, and led mom to Christ that day. And uh, as mom left Shepherds that day, leaving Paul behind, she says something to this effect. Now, Paul has a home on earth, and I have a home in heaven. It changed her whole outlook and, of course, her whole preparation for the future. Well, um, we're thankful to have uh, Paul as a long-term resident with us now, and, and since mom is, is going to be with the Lord... And, uh, but I think you can see there, oh, I, I left out one step that, that Paul got saved too. Actually, I think during his first visit. And so, yeah, just an illustration of evangelism uh, there at Shepherds. Okay, well, let's go back uh, to our, there we go. So evangelism, we're committed to an all-born-again staff. And uh, part of that means uh, we don't seek or accept any federal or state funding for our, our services. Um, and really... Uh, Probably even since I was here last, our budget situation is a little bit better in some respects because where we used to uh, have to raise uh, somewhere around 60% of the total budget and then cost of care provided by families was only coming in about 40%. Now it's closer to a 50-50, which is is better. And uh, so um, we're a little bit less dependent upon uh, uh, giving, but still about 50% of uh, dependent upon giving and about a seven million dollar budget. So uh, it's a you know it, it's a it's a big uh, a big giving opportunity, uh, and 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 all of that you know is 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 in part because we don't take any federal or state funding. So we're dependent upon churches like yours, and again, so thankful for your faithful support. We're committed to the Word of God, and we seek to practice it and teach it. Um, uh, in, in every respect there on campus. Well, uh, non-negotiables. And then I got through my pyramid of stuff, okay? So now I get to preach, all right? So um, would it be fun to, to give you time for questions and so on, but uh, and maybe we'll, we, we might even get a chance for that at the end. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, you'll notice the title up on the screen. It may look a little odd. It says, The Call of Jeremiah and... Uh, <clears throat> Like there's something missing. So um, 
What I'm suggesting is that, yes, the Call of Jeremiah is a great title for this paragraph of Scripture. It's a great title for this message. But as I think I will show you, I think that there is, there's another title that we could use or another extension to this title that we could use. And uh, I'll, I'll give you that as we go along. So there's something more to this story than just the call of Jeremiah, in my opinion. Well, Jeremiah chapter 1. <coughs> and I want to begin uh, by reading um, here in verses 1 through 9. I'm reading, I think, from uh, what is apparently your uh, chosen translation. That's convenient, so I don't have to make excuses, okay? It's what I usually carry, but uh, whatever. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. I'm going to just stop there and ask if you know where we are right now. Uh, Are you? you, Do you know what all that stuff was about? You got that all figured out? You ever wonder why do we have to read all this stuff? Why all these names that are hard to pronounce and all these 13th and 5th and whatever of, of whomever and what's going on? And actually, I want to just stop and take a minute and, and talk about that because I think that not only is it a general truth that everything in Scripture is there for a purpose and it's important, though sometimes it's more difficult in some cases than others to figure it out, uh, I, I believe that those three verses are really important in our study of Jeremiah and, and of this first paragraph. Um, why in the world do we have to read this stuff? Why is it there? Um, There's some implications to it. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. Some observations I'd like to make, and go ahead. So what's the point of those first three verses? And I'd like to connect it with uh, the next thought, that is, Jeremiah is not just a mythical character. Jeremiah is not just an imaginary guy. And I think that that's the point. It's placing Jeremiah in the context of geography and history. It's making him a specific person, a real guy at a real time and a real place. Um, Some of you may remember Francis Schaeffer. Anybody remember that name? Francis? Okay, good. Yes. So Francis Schaeffer was a, a great Christian philosopher and theologian back from the days, the ancient days when I was in college and seminary. And uh, in fact, I got to hear him speak several times. And uh, just a, a yeah, profound, uh, profoundly effective man. Well, one of his many books that he wrote was uh, Genesis in, time and, uh, in Space and Time. And the, the point of his book, one of the major points of his book, was that the book of Genesis is not mythology. Isn't that what everybody around wants to tell us? Is that Genesis, oh, don't believe that, that myth. Don't believe that made-up story. I mean, evolution is the way it all happened. You know that. What? 
And it was the point of Francis Schaeffer to say that we who are biblical believers, we who are Christians and believe in the authority of the Word of God, we don't have to buy that story. We can be confident in the fact that Genesis is history. It's the events of the origins. It's the events of origin in space and time. On this world surface, an indefinable time. And I think that's exactly the point that Jeremiah, or that God is making through Jeremiah in those first three verses. That this man, this prophet, is not just an imaginary mythological guy, but no, he's a real man from a real place in real time of history. And uh, in fact, we can position him on the map about two and a half miles north of Jerusalem. And we can position him on the, uh, the calendar of the past in 629 B.C. You see the point? Okay. So what's the point? We have Jeremiah in space and time. Well, now I'm going to continue reading. Uh, no, I already, yeah, I'm going to continue reading. I haven't finished that yet, have I? So we'll pick up in verse 4. Okay. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah writes, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. (laughs) Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, there are a number of lessons that uh, I would like to draw from this text, and, uh, and, and then maybe one pr- primary one I want to conclude with. And uh, I hope it doesn't upset your sense of order too much, but I want to work through these verses in reverse order, okay? So uh, if you can count one, two, three, four, five. You can probably also count five, four, three, two. Can't you? Okay, so we're going to do it that way. But actually, we're going to start at nine, okay? So, so, so just picking it up, and again, the, the basic idea is, what's the point? What are some observations we can make here? So verse nine, the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I think that's powerfully significant because we learn that Jeremiah was not an independent contractor. He was not just doing his own thing. He was not declaring and writing just whatever he felt like. It's kind of like if you remember in 2 Peter 1, it tells us that holy men of God spoke or wrote as they were moved upon by their emotions. Is that what it says? as they were moved upon by their philosophies. It doesn't say that, does it? Holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And I think here we have a sort of a pictorial representation of that idea that the Lord is placing his words in the mouth of Jeremiah so that the words that he speaks, the words that that, that he declares are the words of God, the words of the Spirit. And so there's authority, the authority of God, 
not just authority, uh, the authority of some mythological guy, right? I think that's pretty important. And I think that that principle holds true not only for the writings of Jeremiah, but really for all of the biblical authors. Let's go back to verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, Jeremiah, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Do you remember Jeremiah was called the something prophet? Do you remember? Ah, you do know that. Okay. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he faced a lot of opposition, a lot of difficulty, a lot of adversity, a lot of rejection, a lot of pain in life. Fact is, there's one reference to it just across the page there in verse 19. Speaking of those to whom he would speak, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. And again, back to verse 8, so don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Um, can you think of any other Bible character that had a similar kind of promise given to him? Anybody come to mind? <laughs> kind of scary to, pick, to speak up, isn't it? Yeah, Joshua's one. And I think Moses had the same thing. There's a New Testament parallel to it that might be really significant to us. Was there a place that says, I will never leave you or forsake you? Brings across that Old Testament, quote, promise, like to Joshua. In Hebrews, right. Say it again. 13.5. Boy, she's all over it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And because of that, I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, so what can man do to me? It's very parallel. In the Great Commission, We're given a task, and then we're also given a promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is a great promise to Jeremiah, but there is a parallel for many of us. And let's just uh, observe the point. Jeremiah was not alone, but the Lord is with him to enable him and to deliver him. But we go back to verses uh, 6 and 7 now. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. So what's the point here? I think the point here is that Jeremiah was not just a... It sounds like he's just a kid. I, I'm just a youth. I'm just a 12-year-old. How old do you think he was? <laughs> You know, I don't think anybody really knows for sure, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't 12, and he wasn't 15, and he wasn't 18, and I don't even think he was 21, or he was older than those. Um, Probably, it's my guess, and the scholars that I've read would put him probably 27, 28 years old. Why does he say that he's just a youth? Well, it's because he's not yet 30. And the age of 30 was that age of qualification to function officially in in the ministry and in the worship of the people and to be a teacher, to be a rabbi, and those kind of things. You had to be 30. And I think that's what's going on here is that Jeremiah is saying, hey, they won't listen to me because I'm not 30 yet. As the Lord says, 
Quit making excuses. You're as bad as Moses. Um, I'm going to enable you, and you will do what I've told you to do, and you will speak what I've told you to speak, and it's going to work, so let's get on with it. I think that's the point. And then we go to uh, verse, verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, and uh, I want you to, as I read verse 5, I want you to notice the order of things. I want you to notice the order that's defined here. Two parts to the verse. I think two parallel thoughts. In the first stanza, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So which came first? The knowing or the forming? The knowing. Okay. Does that seem amazing to you? Before I formed you, in other words, before I created you, before I fashioned you, to put it in the terms of Psalm 139, before I knitted you together in your mother's womb, before that, it says here, the Lord says, I knew you. I was intimately involved with you. I chose you. And that's not a direct... Uh, definition of the word to know there, but I think an implication here is valid, and that is I designed you. Before I fashioned you, I chose you. I was involved with you in the sense of designing you, planning you. And according to that plan, according to that design, According to that intention, I fashioned you, I formed you. I think that's profound. Isn't that amazing? And and then the second stanza of that verse, of that little poem, I think expresses the same thought with just different terms and, and different emphasis. Before you were born, I consecrated you, I set you apart, and I appointed you, I designated you to be a prophet to the nations. Before you were ever born, I had this plan for you that you would be one of the great prophets of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God amazing? And isn't the way of God in working with Jeremiah, amazing. The call of Jeremiah. But now I want to suggest that it, it doesn't stop there. Because I believe that not only do we have here the call of Jeremiah, but I believe that we have a window into the way that God works. Just the way God works. Not just with a Jeremiah. Not just with a Moses. Not just with a Peter. Not just with Bible characters. But with us too. The fact is, what's the next slide do for us? Okay, he was not an accident. Oh, okay. Oh, I was going to mention that, yeah, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and and we know better than that, that concept that has been fed to us. So Jeremiah was not an accident. 
but rather he was designed on and for a purpose. That's one of the fundamental ideas of Shepherd's Ministries about all of us. And now, yeah, he was fashioned according to a plan and a mission. I, I, I think I've said all that stuff. I forgot I had slides about that. And uh, so Jeremiah was designed on and for a purpose. Oh, so let's just click ahead since I'm already there, and then we'll come back. And we'll come back. Okay, so that's what I was trying to get to. Okay, so this is Jeremiah's call, but it's also God's everyday call. It's the way God works for all of us. And so let's go back, Marcus. Sorry to mess this up. Uh, so, uh, uh, okay, so Jeremiah was designed on him for a purpose, and that's wonderful to see, and that should affect his self-perception. That should affect how he looked at himself. But it's also true of you, right? Do you believe that? Is this too big of a jump for you? I mean, it's okay to have the, all the stuff in the Bible that, that, that we believe, right? But could that apply to me? Could it be that there's purpose in this and that I was designed on and for a purpose? I really believe it is. So, so uh, let me pick on your pastor since... Uh, it's like you said, I've known him for a long time. I was just trying to think through. Uh, you, you related your age to Dan Frank's age, and so I think I figured out I wasn't in Idaho when you were born. So uh, I didn't know you from birth, but uh, wherever, however old you were in 1980, I probably pretty quick after that got to know you. So uh, anyway, back to the beginning. I really believe that this text can be applied to people like Pastor Chris. Before, the Lord could say to you, before I fashioned you, I knew you and had a plan for you. And according to that plan, I fashioned you. In fact, it's no surprise to God that Pastor Chris turned out to be a pastor. That was the plan. Do you see that? Okay. So is it just pastor guys where that's true? I don't think so. I had the uh, um, the joy of uh, staying in uh, at the Albers B and B last night, and uh, so uh, let's pick on June. Okay. So do you think Jeremiah one five can be applied to her life? Yeah. June, the Lord, I think, in effect, says to you, before I formed you, I knew you. I had a plan for you. I had a design for you. You were made on and for a purpose. And, and, and before you were born, I set you apart. I, uh, I appointed you. To, to be a school teacher. And that's why I, there are certain traits built into you that would make you good at that. Um, I gave you management skills as well as teaching skills. She's the chairman of your missions committee, isn't she? Isn't that right? It's the best missions committee I've had any contact with. Um, anyway, do you, you see my point? It's not just pastor guys and prophet guys, but it's all of us folks 
are part of the family of God, I believe that this principle applies. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you not to be prophets to the nations. That was a Jeremiah thing. But for you, for me, to fulfill the role in God's work that he has called us to. He equipped us to do that, prepared us to do that. He designed us and then fashioned us to fulfill his calling. Are you with me? Um, there's another couple implications. So we saw that. And uh, it also, so it applies to everybody around us. So we, we can think about, so how did God define uh, or design me? That's important. But let's remember that everybody around us has also been designed. And so that should guide our perception of each other, right? And I don't know, some of you may think that somebody else in this church is weird. Get over it. (laughs) They probably think the same thing about you. (laughs) Okay, we're all different because we have different designs and we have different purposes. And, you know, if I'm designed to be this and not that, then I'm going to be different than that, right? And so we're different by design. And so let's perceive and treat each other with grace accordingly. And then uh, let's remember that this applies too to disabled people. Uh, My theology says that disabled people are not accidents, but that Jeremiah 1.5 applies to them too, that they too are designed on and for a purpose. And so we need to perceive them and respond to them in a way that shows respect for them, but even more importantly, shows respect for God's design. I I, I think that that's consistent application of this text. Um, So uh, we can think about David. David who grew up in an inner city. David who's got the tats of a gang guy. David who was a risk to bring in to Shepherd's College. But David, who's not only a great athlete, I don't know how many of you can dunk a basketball, but uh, he does it very nicely. I don't know how many of you can sing like David can sing. But all the time, David just really has trouble with academic stuff. But he's successful at Shepherd's College. But most important about David is that David was not just designed to be an athlete and to be a singer and to to really be a great coach of his peers. But uh, David was designed to get saved. And uh, David got saved at Shepherd's College. Yeah. Well, and I already talked to you about Paul. And, uh, and I think that's the, the last slide in this series. So uh, what I'd hope that you remember today from a little study of Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, is uh, there's a reason for all of those verses. And uh, maybe the most important takeaway is that God has designed each of us and each of them on and for a purpose. And that should affect our perception and our response to each other and to people who are different than us.
I want to conclude by uh, showing you just a short video clip uh, that basically says thank you. Um, your church, as I mentioned, has been a faithful, supporting church, and we appreciate that. And then from time to time, a special offering comes for shepherds, and, and uh, we thank you for that. Um, and uh, what you'll see here now is just some of our residents and students uh, saying thanks as well. And uh, when this is over, I think I'm, I'm done. Thanks for your attention. And Pastor Chris or Pastor Marcus, you're next. <laughs>